The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are run around tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2012's Battleship, directed by Peter Berg, starring Taylor Kitsch, Alexander Skarsgård, Rihanna, Brooklyn Decker, and Liam Neeson. Battleship is a 2012 American military science fiction war film loosely inspired by the classic board game Battleship. This film currently holds a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Based on the classic Hasbro naval combat game, Battleship is the story of an international fleet of ships who come across an alien armada while on naval war game exercise. An intense battle is fought on sea, land, and air. What do the aliens want? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What? That's the movie, right, Kevin? <laughs> I guess it I feel is. like I read the back of the DVD case, <laughs> but that's not what happened. <laughs> Tonight's movie was sponsored by Pete, and Pete writes in and says, Hey, Joel, Kevin, and Martin, just wanted to write you why I chose Battleship. I watched it expecting one thing, G.I. Joe, and I got something that was kind of what I thought it would be, G.I. Joe. But I enjoyed it a lot for some reason when I could not stand G.I. Joe. Maybe it was the Battleships, maybe it was the cool alien design, or maybe it was just Taylor Kitsch's steamy hot bod. Or how how Rihanna could do every job on the ship. (laughs) I was going to talk about that. Or the fact that one of the old seamen and Taylor shared one of the coolest cover-ups of the F-bomb. This movie just spoke to me. Since I enjoyed this movie so much, do I need to seek help? Thanks, guys. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. P.S. I am ready for more premium after dark. P.P.S. Waterworld is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Kevin, what do you have to say about those PPSs? This guy likes his water. Yeah, he also said something about more after darks, which is weird because we just recorded one. After dark. Got a lot of after darks loaded in the chamber. Yeah. to be fired. There's like four of them (laughs) in the backlog, rip roaring and ready to go. Yeah, he might get his wish sooner than he thinks. Actually, none of them are ready to go. Okay, Battleship, what is your history with this? I never saw it before. I never thought I would ever see it. But lo and behold, this morning, sat down, loaded it up. Time makes fools of us all. Yeah, it does. But you know what? Did I hate it? Did I think it was a piece of trash? Tune in. We'll find out. I didn't see this, but I knew I would see it as soon as this was... I think this is the first movie that came out where I was like, oh, yep, I'm going to have to watch that for the podcast. For sure. (laughs) When we went to go see Ghost Rider together, this trailer came on. And we just looked at each other and we knew. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's my history too. I'm the same as you. <laughs> okay, let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Taylor Kitsch. Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights. That's how I think this actor is best known. Isn't he John Carter? He is. That was his most recent movie, was John Carter. He can't seem to pick movies that are successful. He was Remy LeBeau in X-Men Origins. Are you telling me this guy is a series killer? He's in movies that are supposed to be trilogies. And and they just die. die on the first go. Yeah. I feel bad for him because he's not a terrible actor. No, I didn't think so either. I actually enjoyed him in this. He's a likable dude. 
He is. You know what though? I'll have one. I really like his acting. The only the only thing that I can see that's a problem, and I think it's not his fault, is that he's typecasted into this kind of I don't care, devil may care, devil may cry, devil may cry, gun juggling fool. No, he he drinks a lot in all of his roles. He's kind of like a problem drinker, alcoholic, getting into trouble, has no room for authority. I really enjoyed this guy. I was wondering why I had never seen him before. The only thing I've seen him in before was X-Men Origins, and I totally forgot that that was him as Gambit. You might want to tune into Friday Night Lights. It's a good series. I, I've never seen that. I didn't see John Carter. This guy's a total mystery to me, and I really liked him. I thought his comedic timing was really good, and his actual acting was, was good for this kind of movie, I thought. He is the total opposite of Garrett Hedlund and um, Sam Worthington. These totally bland guys. Yeah. This guy's got a personality. Mm-hmm. He's the real deal. Plus, he's got a lot of beef. Real steel. Ton of beef. Hard beef. Buck steak. Okay, next up, Alexander Skarsgård. I don't even know what this guy's mentioned. He's in it, like, so briefly. Yeah, but Joel, isn't he your favorite vampire from True Blood? Is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like Eric Norseman in, in True Blood. I'm the king of Mississippi. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's all not, I know about that stupid show. <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble picturing him in any other role besides when I'm used to seeing him in True Blood. Is his acting good? Yeah, Kevin, yeah. did you know that this guy is, like, the president of the True Blood fan club? Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's he's always, at, at, when we leave here at night, he's always like, hey, Kevin, let me talk to you about True Blood. <laughs> yeah, he has pamphlets. <laughs> Listen, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's a calling. <laughs> yeah, it's a spiritual calling. Yeah, awakening. <laughs> you know what, though? I got to call Spade a Spade. His acting is like blase. That's all I got to say about him. Was he in The Killing? No. He's the kind of guy that I would expect to be in The Killing. Because he's Nordic? Yep. Is there racism against Nordic people? If so, there is, Joel if just you dropped did, it. You just, you just dropped it. You just did it. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. It was me. <laughs> he wasn't in this much. He had that one scene where he was screaming at his brother in the, in the I apartment. Was that I was laughing. That was really bad. That was yep. really bad. Terrible. He didn't do enough to overcome that. Is English his first language? I don't know. I know that one of the surefire ways to see people lose the accents that they're trying to do in a movie is when they start to yell and be angry because mm-hmm. who they really are shines through. Yeah. So maybe that's what's happening there. They're letting the dogs out. <laughs> I'm going to say that... <laughs> Thank you for that Baja Man <laughs> reference. I needed it. I'm going to say that since he was born in Stockholm, Sweden, English is probably not his first language. I've never seen a taller beefcake in my life, though, I think. We can all agree. Yeah, he's probably six foot seven, pure... I would say he's English. eight foot six. I'm going to say he's 18 foot seven. Okay, next up, the acting debut of Rihanna. Her acting was terrible. I, I She's not an actress, though. She wanted to play with the big boys. She did. She's trying to pull a t- Taylor Swift. It was great, though, because her being in this movie really sets the stage for me to have a lot of Chris Brown jokes later in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Rihanna. That's all I got. I don't know if it's because she's Rihanna and that's all you know her as is that singer. But I mean, I was just painfully aware that that was Rihanna. Me too. Every second that she was on the screen. It was annoying. Yeah. yeah. It was really annoying. Like Every time she would come onto the screen, I, I like roll my eyes like, get out of here. <laughs> There's there's one other movie that's like that, and it's Austin Powers Goldmember. Yes. That drives Beyonce? me. Yeah, when Beyonce's in that movie, I'm like, why are you in this movie? Get out of here. It's stunt casting. It's just to get people in the seats. That's the only reason she's there. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's, but it's so in your face that it takes you out of the movie. It's like, it's aggressive, and it's a kind of offensive. <laughs> 
How? In what way? It's like, I guess that they're putting somebody famous in there and they think that it's just going to be able to pull me into the movie and I'm going to want to see the movie because she's in oh, there. Oh, because you're a rube. Right. It's casting for money and not casting for the purpose of making a better film, right? There's literally a thousand people that could have been casting that role over her that would have been better. Right. It's just, it's, it's that cheapening. That nobody. That, it's that cheapening, role didn't need to be there. It's cheapening the craft. That's my opinion. Yeah. Wow. Next up, Brooklyn Decker. Bucks. She was smoking hot. That's Beautiful. Babe. She earned her money. There was a scene where she was kind of running yep. a little bit. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking yep, about. Yeah, we all saw it. Yeah, we all. They were out of control. There was some type of anti-gravity field that the aliens had portrayed <laughs> in this movie that she was running through, I think, in that scene. I appreciated it. Acting-wise, I'm not going to even talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much goes to show you what her acting chops are like. If all we can do is talk about how hot she is. Exactly. It, right? I actually didn't think she was terrible. Was she as good or better than Rosie Huntington-Whiteley from Transformers 3? I thought she was better. Because she originally auditioned for this role, so it could have been her. I don't think Brooklyn Decker's that bad. I saw her in that Adam Sandler movie. I thought she was decent in that, too. Just go with it? You know it. She's okay. She's Considering she's a supermodel. She's okay. You know, when you put it that way, alright, she's passable. She's like yes. TV level. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. She's like kind of serial drama TV. I can see her in a sci-fi channel original. Or a USA drama. Up all night. Yeah, or, or like on <laughs> the next... welcome. On the next burn notice, Brooklyn Decker oh, yeah. is like... like <laughs> I can, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Better than Rihanna. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That's what we're sure, going to give her. Sure, 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 sure. Next up, Liam Neeson. Oh, the King of Kings. I'm going to say this movie is a big bait and switch. They sold it as if we would have Liam Neeson fighting aliens. He's in this movie for five minutes. Yep. And this is a long movie. Two hours and... 77 minutes. I don't know how that's possible. Wait, what? They're able to sneak in <laughs> extra minutes into that hour. <laughs> I don't... I don't get it, but why would he sign on to this? Besides, obviously, getting a ton of money. <laughs> Kevin's doing the international cash money millions hand gesture. Does Liam Neeson do that, though? <laughs> Does everybody in Hollywood do that? Yes. I don't think this necessarily was the money grab it appears to be. He was, first off, he's good. Second of all, there's few people that could have played that part and had it mean what it ended up meaning, right? I mean, so part of the movie is this guy is terrified because this is Brooklyn Decker's father and he wants to ask him for her hand in marriage. Is there anyone more terrifying than Liam Neeson? Literally the last man on earth that I would want to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage is Liam Neeson. That's what his role was, right? To be that guy. That's it. That's he all he it needed off. to he be. He did it. He was amazing at it. And there's few people that it would have meant so much. And I think that maybe that's how it was sold to him. There's a scene in here where Liam Neeson is yelling at Taylor Kitsch like early on. I thought he was great. He like tore that guy apart. He tore him a new one. Yeah. And huh, I was hooting and hollering. Joel, would you ever ask Liam Neeson for his daughter's hand in marriage? I don't know. I guess so. I'd do my best. If his daughter was Brooklyn Decker. Y yeah, right? That's got to trump it. No matter how scared you are of Liam Neeson. Oh yeah, you got to face your fears for sure. Yeah lock that down, right? Yeah. Yeah, but what if he blows that blue dust from that flower in your face? You have to face your fears. <laughs> what if he comes at you with like broken beer bottles in his hands? You're a wolf. I would just assume that is what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get into the brief history of Battleship. Jeremy Renner was originally considered for the role of Hopper, but due to conflicting schedules, the actor chose to star in a Paul Thomas Anderson drama that was filming roughly at the same time. So he was going to be in The Master, but he dropped out of that as well. Down what was he going to play the Joaquin Phoenix role? Guess. I don't know. R&B singer Rihanna makes her acting debut in the film as a sailor. In an interview with GQ, Berg explained how he came up with the idea to cast her. He realized she could act after seeing her 2009 interview about the Chris Brown assault on Good Morning America with <laughs> Diane Sawyer. 
<laughs> I know, right? Wow. That's how I knew she could act, because she, she was acting all over. And she was lying through her teeth that day. <laughs> During which he found her intelligent and articulate, and her appearance on Saturday Night Live. She accepted the role because she wanted to do something badass, and also because it wasn't a role that was too big for her to play. Double amputee U.S. Army Colonel Gregory Gadsden, who had never acted before, plays Lieutenant Colonel Mick Canales. He was cast after Berg saw a picture picture of him in the National Geographic magazine. The veterans of the USS Missouri that Alexander Skarsgård's character mentioned in the movie are real-life vets of the USS Missouri, some even serving in World War II. The film marks the reunion between former co-stars Kitsch and Jesse Plemons, who previously worked together on Berg's TV series Friday Night Lights. Actual U.S. Navy sailors were used as extras in various parts of the film. Battleship had better box office success overseas markets than in the U.S., where it had a moderate gross. By the end of its opening weekend, it earned $55.2 million from 26 markets, ranking second behind the 3D release of Titanic. That is embarrassing. Kevin, what do you think of that? More water. A lot of water. Yeah, more boats. But to be beat by such an old movie, that's got to sting. Oh, yeah, for sure. A BBC News story published after its first week described it as a box office flop. The film earned how much worldwide? $150 million. 300 million. Kevin wins $302 million worldwide. Whoa, was that close? Yep. Wow. Hasbro has re-released several editions of the classic board game in addition to the regular Fleet vs. Fleet game, an advanced version featuring the alien vessels was also released. This movie's got a couple of awards under his belt. It won the Teen Choice Award for Choice Movie Breakout for Rihanna. Oh my gosh. And of course, it was nominated for multiple Razzies for Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actor, Actor, Liam Neeson, Worst Supporting Actress, Brooklyn Decker, and Rihanna, Worst Screenplay, and of course, Worst Screen Ensemble for everybody in the movie. The Razzies are just trying to get page views at that point, nominating Liam Neeson for a Razzie. Yeah, I mean, you, had, you can have a problem with the movie, but come on, he was good. Liam, Liam Neeson's acting was good. Okay, Battleship, so this movie starts off in true, yeah, it's that bad style, text on a black screen. I saw that, and immediately I was like, oh boy. Boy, here we go. I can't get enough of this. Every time a movie starts out with a black screen and really blocky, ridiculous text, I'm like, this is going to be great. It was black screen with dark blue text? I couldn't I read could a barely word. read it. <laughs> Illegible text on a black screen. It was great. Classic. Yeah, it's that bad. For reference, I'm watching this Blu-ray <laughs> on a 42-inch plasma screen TV, and I could barely read it. That's Her. a problem. Okay, so the text is explaining that... <laughs> NASA has discovered a planet in another, I don't know. Dimension, new galaxy, new ga- intergalactic planetary. planetary. Yeah, so planet G, where everybody <laughs> suffers like G did. <laughs> <laughs> was discovered and they build this giant array of super powerful transmitters. I don't know about you guys, but this didn't really look like a a transmission that was being sent across the galaxy. It it looked like a giant energy beam that's a death ray. It was a death ray. It was going to destroy their planet, right? Why were we seeing the transmission of data as if it was a ray of light? Because you, the audience member, is an idiot (laughs) and we need to tell you that this is information being sent. This happens multiple times in the movie, and at the end of the movie, right, the aliens fire off the communications array, and we yeah. see like an orange beam Dude, <laughs> shoot off of it. 
what, what was being sent? Plasma? It was like irradiated matter that was being shot across the cosmos. What was happening? It's them assuming that we're so stupid that we need to see something. I wish they would have zoomed in to like the beam. It would have seen like ones and zeros <laughs> in the light beam. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what language are they sending to this planet? What what information are they sending and, and what language is it being sent in? They're sending the, the full collection of the Ask That Bad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they need. <laughs> That's why they came to destroy the planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is being sent to their planet and we're introduced to our cast of characters. There's one lone nerd scientist who thinks that this is a bad idea. Yeah, this is a bad idea. Martin, did you recognize this guy? I feel like I've seen him in other roles as a nerd scientist. Maybe. Martin, it may surprise you to know you and I have seen this guy in person. Have we? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have. When? Hamish Linkletter. I think I'm pronouncing his name completely wrong. (laughs) He was in The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino. Oh, yeah. The Merchant of Venice. Granted, The Merchant of Venice is the source material is a little better than Battleship. No, it's not. (laughs) That's debatable. debatable. We're introduced to Taylor Kitsch. We get to see his abs in what, the first 10 seconds of this movie? Yeah. A beautiful woman's at the bar. This smoking hot babe walks into the bar in slow-mo. It's his dive bar. Immediately, I am struck by how much this movie wants to be Top Gun and a Michael Bay movie rolled into one. Oh, yeah. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure that Peter Berg is like a protege of Michael Bay. Something inside my heart says that. That sounds completely baseless. I don't know, but I do know for a fact that Michael Bay actually was a protege of Tony Scott. Are you making this up? Who directed Top Gun. These so, all sound like lies. So it's like this big circular... You're trying to get into Peter Berg's next movie. <laughs> yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. So we're introduced to these to these two main characters. They're supposed to be brothers. They don't look anything alike. They're both unbelievably jacked. This beautiful woman walks in. She wants a burrito. And we. what else do we know? That these two people are... One of them is in the Navy and the other one is a drunk loser, loser that can't do anything right. Brooklyn Decker wants a burrito. She wants some hot beef in her mouth. Chicken A-S-A-P. burrito. She wants a chicken burrito. She wants a hot beef injection. ASAP. <laughs> and Taylor Kitsch was there to deliver. Yeah, so he rolls up. He's like, he goes to the bartender. Just give the woman a burrito. The guy refuses to throw a burrito in the microwave. This would be too much trouble. So Taylor Kitsch is like, give me five minutes. I'll get back here with your burrito. Well, Taylor Kitsch had to become a common criminal to get her the burrito of her dreams. He breaks really? into the 7-Eleven street rat? Store. Riff raff? I don't uh, buy that. He breaks into the convenience store across the street and it turns into a found footage movie as, <laughs> as he's bouncing around the convenience store getting into mishaps. What do you think of this stuff? Looked like it was coming straight out of Cloverfield, right? I liked it. I thought it was funny. I love this movie right, at this point. Yeah. The, the interplay between the brothers is really good despite the fact that they don't look like they're related at all. I agree all. with you. I agree. The whole thing with Brooklyn Decker was good. Him going to the convenience store and breaking in is hilarious. It's like slapstick comedy, but it's really good. Kevin, apparently this whole scene is a parody of an actual YouTube video. Like, something like this actually happened. Oh, really? Yep. For where a guy just wanted a burrito? Uh, like a crook fell through the roof a bunch of times. Well, the, the very next day, Taylor Kitsch is licking his wounds at home. I wanted Coke Zero and Subway so bad this whole time. Oh, yeah, it was man. So Every weird. five seconds with the Subway and the Coke Zero. <laughs> So Taylor Kitsch's brother comes up to him and he starts yelling at him. He's like, that was the Admiral's daughter. You're messing with my life. Uh, 
What'd you think of this? How did that mess with his life? <laughs> How did it have anything to do with him? Him yelling and screaming was so bad. It this... didn't make any sense, and the acting was really bad. His solution is even stranger, because let's hypothetically say that this is messing with his life. Why would you have your brother join the thing that you're trying to keep him from messing up? Yeah. Wouldn't that just mess it up worse? Co-signed. So he's like, you're joining the Navy. Dun, 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 dun. Accelerate your life. <laughs> yeah, it's been said that this movie is one giant ad for the Navy. What do you think of that? I didn't see it, and and I've heard that before. I can kind of see it. During the movie, my wife was like, hey, if you were going to go into the armed forces, what would you choose? And without a, a second of hesitation, I said Navy. Why? You want to die at sea? I enjoy Davy being Jones's out locker? on the water. You like Davy Jones's locker? I, I like being out in the water. I'm at home on the water. Air Force, because they don't actually have to do any fighting. I, I want to take the job where I'm least likely to get blown up. I think that's the Navy. I actually knew a guy who was in the Navy. He told me about it. He, I don't know if his experience was typical or not, but he used to tell me stories about how being in the Navy was like being on a floating prison out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> he, he hated it so much. And like when his four years were up, like he literally wallowed in the mud in front of the, the Navy building because he was so happy. So I, I don't know, Kevin. I don't know if you want to partake in that. I know someone that was in the Navy not that long ago and they enjoyed their experience. It all depends on the person, right? Yeah. The movie finally starts now. We get the title screen. Did either of you guys notice that the music during the title screen sounded suspiciously like the music from Tron Legacy? Yeah, a little bit. All right, so after this, we get some amazing soccer scenes for Kevin. It's like they wrote this in just for this guy. Oh, yeah. And this is when we get introduced to Rihanna. And they do a lot of weird stuff with Rihanna. Our hero, Taylor Kitsch, is playing in the soccer game with his brother. So he's like the active participant. Rihanna is there, but they kind of cut to her every once in a while in such a way that the hero and Rihanna are like never in the same scene at the same time. Yeah. It almost made it look like they weren't in the same place together. Oh, movie magic? And this <laughs> happens a lot. Like it, it isn't until much later in the movie that Rihanna finally interacts with the main characters. And whenever we see Rihanna, she's always talking to that Jesse Plemons guy from Breaking Bad and uh, Friday Night Lights. It's almost as if she's a ghost. Like she's not even in the movie. It's really weird. Okay, so what's going on here is that the Navy is partaking in war games. Not the Matthew Broderick movie, but they're like going out to sea and having pretend Navy battles to see who's the best of the best of the best and blah, 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 blah. That's the setup of this movie right there. That, that's what they're doing out at sea. It's Taylor Kitsch's character. We see him out at sea for the first time. He's in command of a vessel of like a, a or at least a large portion of a vessel. How did that happen? I thought he was a joker. I, I thought he was an ass. I don't know how much time has lapsed between the opening scene before the, the the movie title and then what we're seeing now but it seems like it must have been at least a few years yeah right like maybe like four five years because he's moved well up the ranks for someone who hadn't even signed up yet as oh. of the beginning of the movie just out of curiosity his personality hasn't changed much since the bar scene right no okay so then he just got a haircut that that being said how does an insubordinate person make it into a command position in the military got those sweet skills man boyish good looks baby blue eyes natural born talent rock is, hard abs is the United States military sticklers for subordination? Eh, not a big deal. Like, you can get away with being insubordinate, right? Yeah, they, they play fast and loose with the rules. <laughs> <laughs> 
they cut to outer space a couple times. What is going on with the lens flares out in space? Seizure inducing, I thought. They, yeah, the lens flares was heavy throughout this movie. And to the point where I remember at one point, the camera is panning over all the battleships and they're just tacking on lens flares for no reason. That's gotta be the J.J. Abrams Star Trek effect, right? I guess so. Yeah, but when J.J. Abrams Star Trek effect would come in, there would be a light source that would cause the lens flare. We're panning over the ocean. Where is this light source that the lens flare is coming from? We see Brooklyn Decker's character. She's a physical therapist and they show, I guess, every soldier in Hawaii is missing their legs. I don't understand this. What is the point of this subplot with Brooklyn Decker as a physical therapist and all these disabled war veterans? It's throwaway, right? What does this have to do with alien invasions? I have no idea. I don't think it has anything to do with it, but I mean, it just might be a way of kind of incorporating the troops that have been injured in the wars recently into the movie to, I don't know, kind of make it a little bit of a social thing. It's interesting that they have like real soldiers with disabilities in there and stuff, but what does that add to the whole project? It just makes it a longer movie. They don't add anything to the main plot line. This whole stuff with the disabled veterans could have been cut and it would have been the exact same movie. That's why I don't believe this movie as propaganda for the for, for the military. I mean, that's putting it right in my face that we're in a war in Iraq. We're in a war in Afghanistan. And the outcome of that war is all these people losing their limbs. Like, that's terrible. Why would I want to join the military at that point? Well, they cut back to outer space and they're picking up these vessels on space radar. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that is that what that is? What What is that? Space sonar. <laughs> space sonar. These vessels are moving past our planets at 10 times the speed of light. It's like moving past like our, like, like it's moving past Jupiter through like from Mars in like three seconds. Mm-hmm. That's way faster than the speed of light. And eventually they crash land onto the earth. There is no waves created from that. Yeah, I thought about that. Like, wouldn't there be like a deep impact situation here or Armageddon? Yeah, Hawaii would have been wiped out by a tsunami. I mean, that's a fact. Well, we're 30 minutes in and we're starting to get a taste of the aliens finally. I love the first couple minutes of the aliens arriving on the earth. I don't like that the movie kind of turns into Armageddon for a couple minutes. (laughs) Like the alien shards from the ship are going through the building. Yeah, hitting like Hong Kong and blowing things up. It looked cool. But what I did like about this scene was like, there's this sense of mystery when like the media is there and they're looking at all the the shards of the alien ship. They're like, what is this? What is going on? And we see like the husk of the alien ship and stuff. And everybody's like really scared and nervous. That stuff was awesome. Mm -hmm. We needed more stuff like that. Like what is going on? People not knowing there's like a mystery plot. That was really good. That was really cool. Like what's the societal impact of this? Yes. Yes. That's like a more global scale of what's going on. After that, that's it. This movie is very small. This is a huge blockbuster movie, but it all takes place in one spot. And by that one spot, it's a vast, empty, nothing on the horizon ocean. This movie is really tiny and claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? We never really get to see what's going on in the rest of the world while this movie is taking place. If they don't close it in, if there's no force field closing in three ships to battle the other three ships, then it's the entire world's navy against a few aliens. That doesn't really make any sense. But then if you make the scope grander, it gets away from the heart of this, which whether it's misguided or not, (laughs) it's Battleship the board game. That's what this is. If you were going to tell me that there was going to be a movie based on Battleship, I honestly thought that you would make like a Hunt for Red October kind of a movie where like Navy vessels are out at sea trying to fight each other Mm -hmm. when they don't have radar or something. Yeah. Why not? Like a real movie with people fighting each other. Mm -hmm. You got to sell toys, right? Of course. (laughs) Follow the money, Kevin. And you have to you have to sell special edition battleships 
where you're fighting a new enemy. This one ship lands and it has these two radar dish pads that come out of the ocean and they shoot another weird energy beam thing. I guess at some point in the sky, it just turns into a force field. What's happening? It's a force field. You've seen that before. We've all (laughs) seen that before. It was so blatant that they're just setting up the battleship board game area. I'm like, oh, okay, this is the battleship board game area they're setting up. (laughs) If only it was square with a grid. I I, I almost wish it was. And it had like a big thing in the middle that blocked them all. So there we are. We're all we're all set up now. Everybody is isolated. So we have the five ships inside and the other five outside. So we get the triumphant return of one of Yes That Bad's alumni, straight from Ghostbusters 2. Oh yeah. Peter McNichol. Martin, I know you were super pleased to see this guy. Peter, I fell in love with Peter McNichol back when he was the bad boss on Ally McBeal. <laughs> I like this guy. I like him almost every time I see him. Yeah, he was perfect for this role. He comes in, he's like the head of the NSA or whatever. What's silly about this, yet again, the filmmakers are thinking the audience is dumb, and they have Peter McNichol say this line. He goes, are you trying to tell me that we sent out a signal and we got an alien response? Like, yeah, we know. We saw it. We're watching this movie. We get it. We don't need to hear him say that. Yeah. But I guess, like, who's the audience of this movie? Like, little kids, right? Like, little, little kids. Yes. Okay, so Taylor Kitsch is uh, investigating this giant, I, I guess at this point we don't know it's a ship. It's just like a giant alien artifact that's in the ocean. He goes over and he touches it like a complete freaking dope. He's just like, ooh, he like caresses it. It electrocutes him. Rihanna gets him back on the boat. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else that's over there on the other ships, they sound their horn to signal it and something really interesting happens one of the alien ships looks like it's about to power up and shoot a kamehameha wave at one of the other ships and it the energy creates a giant sound shock wave that like windows explode yep. mm-hmm. and people get blown away is taylor kitsch deaf shouldn't they have just like their head should have like exploded yeah, right? rihanna is right next to the loudspeaker <laughs> or whatever when that thing goes up i thought the exact same thing what is going on they should be like dead from how loud that is right you'll play devil's advocate oh please oh. Please. <laughs> the sound wave that originated <laughs> above them, right? They yeah. were down on the water, oh, all right. water level. Yeah. It originated up, it like shot out uh-huh. yeah. okay. at the ships. So I'm going to say like it, the sound was directed <laughs> away from them. Hmm. You know, for a professional broadcaster such as yourself, your lack of knowledge about audio is stunning Do and offensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these giant ships, they're dancing around the ocean like stupid spiders that dance on the surface of water. Yeah, like they're supposed to be like hovercrafts or, or alien spaceships, but they're like, they bounce, they hop on the water. They make no waves. What is going on? These things are really big. Yeah, I don't understand the technology that's... <laughs> working here. Like, they're submerged and then they just pop up and they're kind of flying, but they're not really flying. Yeah, they're weak. Why don't they just fly the whole time? What do you think of the way they look, though? The actual ships? I was okay with that. It was cool. It was different. I, thought, I thought they I looked thought cool. Yeah. yeah. I thought they were good designs. This would be a really cool toy. I wish they sold it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> good luck! Yes! This is the first time that we're going to see these aliens engage our characters in a battle. So they they shoot their, these stupid, they look, I, I guess they're like depth 
the charges and they land on the boats. And I'm like, wow, they look kind of like pegs. Yeah, I had the exact same thought. They're just like the pegs from the board game. I'm like, oh, they are the pegs. <laughs> and then they explode sequentially in the same places that the pegs would be on the boat. And I'm like, God, this would be so stupid. Okay, what'd you think? A little nod to the board game. I kind of liked it. It was cool because it's it's kind of a callback to the board game, but it was like a real weapon. I mean, it was effective. Kevin, what's your history with this board game? I didn't really play the board game much. I played it paper-based version yeah. with you, Joel. Oh, yeah. During an entire semester of Spanish <laughs> 4 in high school. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Good times. I used to have a talking electronic battleship. I don't like battleship. I think it's a very, very bad board game. Up there with like Monopoly is like the worst of the worst. It's just random guessing. It's not a good game. I had the, I don't know, my experience with battleship is the the, the same. I had the electronic battleship. I still remember the commercials for electronic battleship. Oh yeah. I played it. I didn't specifically like it much. Whatever. We were the video game kids. Video game generation. Yeah. Put down that Nintendo. Couldn't put down that Nintendo controller. (laughs) Gotta pick up those 40 novels of Wizard of Oz, right? Right, at some point. Okay, so this ship doesn't just have these peg explosives. There's one main battleship, I guess, or this artifact that shoots these spinning ball things out of it. This is the thing that when I saw it in the trailer made me think this is the biggest Transformers ripoff I've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. This is it. They're like little Transformers. What? I mean, is that what they are? They're, they're like, they're these metallic balls with razor blades attached and when they roll around, they rip apart the concrete and everything and they have tails for some reason. Mm -hmm. I'll say this part. These things interacting with the island of Hawaii and the people that live on it, it's the most entertaining part of this whole movie. What do the aliens want in this movie? I I don't know. Like, all of a sudden, the aliens... Take over the world. Yeah, okay, so we find out that the the, the aliens have lost their communication ship, so they don't have any radar. The humans cannot see the aliens on radar, so that sets up the board game situation, where, like, you're firing blind, just like in the board game. Okay, great. What the hell are the aliens doing here? What do they want? I'm gonna posit this theory for you guys. See if it floats with you guys. Whenever we see the aliens attack people in this movie, with the exception of a couple instances, they're usually attacking out of defense. When the ships don't fire on the aliens, the aliens don't fire back. When humans don't fire on the aliens, like in Predator, the aliens don't fire on the humans. It's only when they're directly attacked that the aliens attack back. That's it. I'm gonna say this. What if the aliens weren't here to take over? What if they were here for another reason. Like, they were lost in space, they got our signal, and they followed it for potentially to get help. And they land on our planet, and Taylor Kitsch blows them up and kills them. What do you think of that idea for a movie? Then why did that alien have a flashback, and why did they show that? It was like a wartime, like, flashback for, like, an alien war that was going on. It was bizarre. Like, what was the point of that? They're they're here to kill us. I don't know why you don't see this. (laughs) What my argument makes no sense, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, really. It, it, it doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make they any sense. They had spiky goatees, man. Oh, that makes them automatically evil, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they had porcupine quill goatees. That was terrifying. Well, you know, we live in an age now that it would be politically incorrect for Taylor Kitsch to go bombing like North Korea or something like that. You think that's why they had to do aliens this time around? I guess. It, it's like the uh, battle for LA and all these things. Like we have to fight aliens in movies because we 
we can't fight other countries because we need to sell the movie in other countries. So what's the point of getting them upset? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, w- I did sit on it for a while. I was like, why are these aliens attacking us? And then why do I even care? Why, why do I care that this is happening? They don't do a good job at all of setting up why the aliens are here and what they want. And they don't do a good job of getting me invested in the characters for me to even care. Like in the darkest hour, at least they were like mining for resources and stuff. There's a reason for them to be here. Yeah. Here, they're just here for the hell of it. Okay, so it's at this point that we get our first look at what these aliens really look like. And it's just alien Master Chief. Yeah, they look like Master Chief walking around like Halo when they pull their masks off. They have like kind of humanoid faces with these spiky sea urchin like quills for their goatees. And they have four fingers on their hands, kind of like a monkey or something. I don't know. It's more lizard like. Monkeys have five fingers. Yeah, yeah. And their their eyes were eyes were lizard like. What do you think of the look? It was pretty cool. Yeah, I was okay with it. I mean, it was different, but it wasn't stupid. You That's know, all I can hope for and, these days. Yeah, I mean, like in a, in a world with Super Eight. Yeah, this is pretty good, right? They I, went. I hated that monster. It was Super different, 8. but it was wasn't terrible. I mean, it's humanoid, so it's believable that those things would be behind those suits and behind the air, you know, their little vehicles and stuff. Sometimes it just looks kind of ridiculous. Like uh, I always thought the aliens in Independence Day looked ridiculous behind the wheel of those ships. How come? They just looked weird. They just didn't look like they should be piloting those kinds of ships. I don't know. Just didn't sit right with me. Like their body shouldn't be interacting interacting with a shape like something built like that like yeah something more like a human being would interact with yeah exactly well these aliens are attacking and all of a sudden it's as if Zack snyder came on set and told peter berg hey take a breather i got this <laughs> and there's a scene where a bomb blows up on the ship what happens so it blows up and you see sa- like the sailors like flying in the air and then all of a sudden time itself stops we like rewind a little bit and then it goes forward again really fast I remember seeing this in the trailer. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's some kind of weird weapon that the aliens must yes, have. Yes, me too. I thought it was like the, the weapon. I thought it was the bomb. But we get to the movie and that's the only time we see that. Therefore, it must have been just a creative effect, like a flourish by the director. It came completely out of nowhere and I didn't understand it. All right, I'm going to try to explain it. <laughs> Go for it. The bomb detonates. When it detonates, the blast pushes <laughs> the people through the air outwards. After it explodes and the fire is all gone, it's created a vacuum because it's burned up all the oxygen that would be in the air there. It sucks them back. Then there's a secondary blast <laughs> that blows them away again. <laughs> and that all would have transpired within point oh 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 one seconds? I said I was going to try. I didn't say I was going to succeed. At this point, Alexander Skarsgård's ship gets blown up. Did either of you care that this guy was killed? Nah, because he's not really a character in this movie. I was happy. Yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, he gets blown up and because there's nobody else available to be the boss, Taylor Kitsch is automatically automatically risen to the top. We get to see like these gunners in the side of the ship and they're just complaining left and right about like, this sucks. I hate this. Taylor Kitsch is the boss. This is unbelievable. No, he's going to kill us. That would be me if I was on this ship, just like yelling, complaining. And then all of a sudden, Turtle from Entourage showed up. Yeah, what was that about? That was him? Yeah. yeah. That was I him. was like, wow, that guy looks just like Turtle. <laughs> okay, well, at, at this point in the movie, I'm getting kind of bored. There's a lot of repetition. Yeah, of, you're right. Oh, run from the ship, blow up the ship, run from the ship, shoot the ship. They're shooting at us. We're shooting at that. Nothing happens. Nothing actually transpires. It's boring. I was with you, Kevin. When this movie started, I was like on a four out of five. I was enjoying 
enjoying the hell out of this movie. It was a lot of fun. Once these aliens show up, this thing takes a nosedive. It just becomes a boring cookie cutter blockbuster. Not interesting at all. Okay, so it's later shown that the aliens for some reason or another can't see us and we can't see them either. They don't show up on radar. Luckily, this Japanese captain, he's going to use the tsunami tracking system that's set up by Noah. And I Noah's know you gonna were be pumped. Noah's, and, and yeah, I got it right here on my notes. Noah is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too. It was like another Noah movie. God, it's like five of these. <laughs> I, I can never get enough of Noah being put into my movies. I loved how he's like, put the Noah data on our screen. Like somehow there's a program set up in their computers already to take Noah buoy data and turn it into like some type of computer <laughs> program. Like what? <laughs> I don't know. I got to say, I kind of like this. Oh, Kevin, explain what happens. So they throw up a big map and it's all of the tsunami buoys. They're all over. Basically creates a grid. Every time the alien ship moves, it's going to create waves, which then affect the buoys. So they can tell very basically where the aliens are by how the buoys are moving. So they use this to target where they're going to send their missiles. And we set up the actual board game in the movie. And, you know, I was wondering if this was going to happen. Yeah, me too. I was wondering if they were going to do this. I was wondering if someone was going to say, you sunk my battleship. I don't understand why that wasn't in here. That needed to be in this movie, right? Someone needed to scream that. Liam Neeson needed to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they throw up this grid and the Japanese guy, he's telling them when to fire. And I got to say, I like the way they did this. If they're, if they're going to go this route, if they're going to have the board game in the movie, it was a decent way of doing it. Yeah, I think this is the last gasp of the movie. Like these scenes with the radar, there's a little bit of tension here. There's some tension there. Mm-hmm. I think this is the last interesting thing they do before it ends. Martin, not a fan? I think that it looks interesting and it's cool in theory. But man, oh man, why would Noah have like tsunami buoys every like 200 feet from each other? In a giant grid? In a giant grid. Not only that, like a tsunami detection buoy, like a tsunami is a super low frequency wavelength detection device. Like a tsunami wavelength is so long because there's just so much energy in it. I don't know. It, it was ridiculous. Well, anyway, so it, it works. Like, the plan works. They actually blow up uh, one of the ships. They blow up two of them at the same time. Yeah, it was amazing. They did it. Great job. Later on in the movie, we they come to find out that the aliens, they're like uh, lizards. And they, they don't like the sunlight and they use that as a way to blow up one of the ships. Did you notice that when they blow up the ship, one of the sailors did a DX chop? Yes! yes! I totally yes! did! <laughs> amazing! <laughs> I'm glad that the Attitude Era made it into (laughs) this movie. Okay, so at this point, all of our ships seem to get destroyed by the alien force. We have none left. We we don't have anything to fight them with, but we do have one battleship left. Yeah, they pull a Battlestar Galactica and they decide to uh, turn a floating museum into an actual warship again. I like where you're thinking, Joel. Thank you. Yeah, so they get the, the Missouri or whatever, and they get these old World War II guys to help them. Being led by the Taylor Kitsch, I was offended that this was <laughs> happening. Yeah. And I'm not in this movie. This movie isn't real. This isn't happening. And I'm like offended for them. These people fought in World War II and they're being commanded by this jackass. My favorite part of this whole movie is when they decide to take this thing over, one of the guys grabs a crane machine game and just throws it on the ground and breaks it for no reason. (laughs) There's no reason for that. There's a reason. Why did he have to break the machine? Did they need something inside the crane machine game? There was a door behind it. All he did was move it. He like <laughs> picked it up and pile dropped it into the ground. Yeah, he people elbowed the glass. 
It was so over the top and ridiculous and in slow-mo. Well, these old timers show these young bucks how it's done and, and they take this old ship out and they start fighting the aliens with it. Thank goodness the Navy left plenty of live rounds yeah, the museum. on this museum ship. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I, I didn't even think of that, but <laughs> They have a ton of live ordnance on this ship. Do you think the the, uh, the intrepid has that? (laughs) What? (laughs) How much ordnance is on this ship? They keep firing nonstop. Yeah, it was it was loaded with weapons, (laughs) which is exactly what you'd want on a ship that's used as a museum for children and families. (laughs) All right, well. This ship gets fired up. I guess it's still in perfect working order from 60 years ago. Yep. Well, yeah, anyway, so Taylor Kish has this stupid move where the alien mothership is going to shoot him. They drop anchor. They do like this fishtail maneuver and they fire all their guns at once and explode into space. What, what are you doing? Are you casting a spell on me? <laughs> Well, and that's it, right? The ship explodes and they're heroes now. Great. Liam Neeson awards all of these people and Taylor Kitsch the highest honor you can get, which is a Medal of Honor from Liam Neeson. <laughs> the Liam Neeson Medal of Honor. He, he gave him Medal of Honor. For PlayStation 1. <laughs> this is my vintage copy. <laughs> oh my God, Liam Neeson's Medal of Honor. <laughs> yeah, so this is, I just didn't care anymore. I really did not care at this point. So what? Who cares? Did you guys say after the credits? Yes. Oh, no. There was another scene. Yep, there was. Oh. I knew there was going to be something in a movie like this. They're in, like, Scotland or something, and he cuts open that piece of of whatever ship that broke off and hit somewhere else on our planet, and he cuts it open with, like, a blowtorch and, like, a chainsaw. Up, there's aliens inside. Yeah, and aliens alive. The end. Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter, because... Is that supposed to set up a sequel? That's what they were going for. On land in Scotland. Battleship 2. It doesn't matter, because... These things, it's shown that they're not that powerful and that they need to contact them and they don't have an ability to do so anymore. So, I mean, the people on our planet would probably just take him and study him and dissect him, I guess. Can you imagine living in that world? You know that the scouting crew of some alien force just came. We ramp up production, right? That's it. Worldwide production, anti-alien technology. That's it. That's some world to live in, right? Like, you know for a fact at any moment, like a force could come up and just destroy it. Well, the human race has united we've reverse engineered all this technology that we have fought against because they still have it there they're gonna they're gonna salvage all that okay and that's battleship let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie Big, loud, stupid, dopey, shameless, cliched, overbearing, and did I mention stupid? Richard Roper, richardroper.com. Battleship has the IQ of a rutabaga and doesn't require much more intelligence than that to watch. James Bardinelli, Real Views. And finally, hey, if you're a Hasbro and Universal and you've agreed to make a movie based on nothing more than brand recognition of a game, you gotta fill it with the two hours with something, right? Tom Russo, Boston Globe. Okay, guys, this movie movie currently holds a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that bad? You know, this movie was interesting in the first 15 minutes. I like Taylor Kitsch, and the acting, at least that he brought, wasn't terrible. But I mean, come on, everything else is pretty bad. There isn't much redeemable acting by anybody else. There's no story. There just isn't one. There's nothing really that's going to hold my interest in this movie. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about what's going on. And it's not even exciting as far as action scenes are concerned, which is bizarre. 
this is an action movie. They just don't have anything that I want to see. I'm going to give this movie, yeah, I'm going to give this movie a one out of five. It is really that bad. It's a chore. I think I'm going to shock you here. I enjoyed this movie. I liked it. I like this way better than all the other Transformers movies because I'm going to lump it in. This is Transformers 4. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would much rather sit through this than any of the Transformers movies. I really liked when it started. You're right, like, there are some some pretty bad stuff here, but it held my attention. I never got bored during this movie, and I liked the characters enough that they kept me engaged, and I'm gonna give this a high three out of five. I actually, like, when this is done, I was like, hey, wow, that wasn't bad. This is... A movie based on a board game. A very simple, stupid board game. And somehow they made a movie I enjoyed. I couldn't believe it. Maybe I just went in with super low expectations. But I came out and I enjoyed it. Okay, as for me, it's really that bad. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, in the beginning, I was riding on a four. Like, I was enjoying the hell out of this movie. I really liked what I saw. But then eventually when the aliens show up, I just started losing interest and losing interest fast. They just didn't know what to do with these aliens. And the concept is inherently stupid like Navy ships versus UFOs. I don't like it. I think it's stupid. I never liked it when I first heard about it and I don't like it now. But like you said, Taylor Kitsch is good in this. He's a likable guy. There is some fun stuff in here. There is some funny things. Brooklyn Deckler, smoking hot. So because of these factors and you got a little Liam Neeson in there too, I'm going to give it a very light, very light three out of five. Very, very light. I really wish they had done more with this concept. I wish they had done different things with it. More interesting ideas. And I wish this whole subplot of the amputee guys weren't in this movie at all. If you notice in the review, we didn't even talk about it at we all. We didn't even talk about Brooklyn Decker at all. Because it's superfluous. It added nothing to the plot. It just padded out the runtime. We didn't need this movie to be that long. All these damn blockbusters are always two and a half hours long. They don't need to be this long. This, this isn't Citizen Kane, you know? 90 minutes. Yeah, this is a 90 minute film. Done. And it would have been amazing at 90 minutes. I don't know about that, but <laughs> I mean, 90 minutes is all needed. Five. <laughs> yeah, five stars. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Chris writes in and says, Hey guys, love the show. I listened to episode 105 and wanted to comment. As an EMT student, I would rather have my penis removed by a bear trap than bitten off. The human mouth is so dirty that they don't reattach bitten off extremities. If a bear trap takes it off, you might get it back. Also, after careful study, I have to reveal your true identities. With your movie knowledge, you could only be movie insiders. Joel is clearly famous actor Clint Howard. <laughs> Martin is character actor Wallace Shawn. You know who that is? Right. And Kevin is none other than Star Trek DS9 star Armin Shimmerman. That's Quark. I'd be very offended by that. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's not good. That's not, good. not good at all. Sorry to spoil the secret, but please keep up the good work. We got a couple emails here saying that we missed a couple triumphant returns in the last few movies, Kevin. I'm so sorry. You've been slipping in your diligence. I have? Yeah. Okay. Dog writes in and says... You guys let out that I Saw the Devil is at least the second movie of Byung Hun Lee that you have reviewed. The other one being G.I. Joe. I keep describing I Saw the Devil as Storm Shadow versus Old Boy. And this one's gonna blow your mind. Corey writes in and says, It's Corey from Yes That Bad Australian Subdivision. Since we work primarily in quality control, <laughs> I am sending this email in response to a major injustice. In the most recent episode, The Last Boy Scout, you neglected to announce the triumphant return of Danielle Harris. As you noted, these days, she is super 
hot. Check out Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. She totally gets her boobs out. But that's besides the point. We've seen her before in a Yaz That Bad film. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? And realize that you were guffawing over the worst goth chick in the history of film. That's right, gentlemen. She was the slutty roommate in Urban Legend. Really? Really? That's amazing, right? That is amazing. I can't believe that's her. She's come a long way, right? We need to rewatch that movie, though. Didn't we all say that she was a hot goth? I think maybe you guys did. Don't lump me in now. Otacon <laughs> writes in. Martin. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. I enjoy your episode so much that $50 doesn't seem like an unfair amount to pay to get a premium movie review. After the cost of meeting and recording these episodes are covered, will you use the additional cash to fund construction of a railgun mounted to the side of the Yeah, It's That Bad geosynchronous space station here after referred to as the rather not watch tower <laughs> you could use this to vaporize movie studios from high orbit whose films don't meet your standards of quality I have no idea what any of you guys look like but when I envision the triumvirate watching a bad movie I like to think that you have a bridged hand look of quiet smoldering dissatisfaction not unlike Gendo Ikari Martin probably wears a pair of spotless white gloves just for this <laughs> he is so right. It's unbelievable. P.S. What characters were you proficient with in Soul Calibur 2? That's way out there. I know, Kevin, you used the fishing controller to Absolutely. beat the it game. It didn't matter what character I was as long as I was using the fishing controller. Sega Bass controller. fishing controller. I was Goldo, always. I never played Soul Calibur 2. I played Soul Calibur or Soul Edge or Soul Blade, whichever was the one for PlayStation 1. And I liked Kalik. That one, he's favorite. Kevin, no opinion on the matter? No, I had Soul Calibur 1. For PlayStation 1? Or for Dreamcast? For Dreamcast. Yeah. Yeah, that was the only one I had. I think I used to use Kalik too. Gunny writes in and says, Dear Martin, I hate to call you a liar, <gasps> so I want to give you the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe you're recalling it wrongly, but without using aftermarket modifications, it was physically impossible to make a Furby curse as you claim to have done. Furbies were, despite their marketing, not actually designed to learn English words or phrases from their owners. All they really did was make a slow scheduled progression from using their gibberish Furbish phrases to preset English words, having no recording software of their own. This was done to trick kids into feeling that they had taught them how to talk. These facts made it especially hilarious when in 1999, the NSA banned Furbies from its premises for fear that they would be used to record national security secrets like the whereabouts of Sam Fisher. By the way, now that you know Jumbie has been born, shouldn't the title of the movie be retroactively changed to The Born? Derek writes in and says, Hey guys, just wanted to ask if you were a superhero or villain, what would your name and your power be? I guess Joel will be Beefcakeinator. His power would be to show off his pecs. He would always have his shirt off and would have a one gillion on the beefometer. Martin would be the Quaid Master 9000. His power would be to blow people away with a Dennis Quaid like performance. Finally, Kevin would be the teacher. He would be hardworking teacher at school, moving, grooving, hustling, bustling, flying through the air with the greatest of ease, teaching his students how to save a life. Also, I made a picture of you guys as Halo Spartans. Check it out. So he has like a little uh, secret code in the image of the Spartans from Halo. We cannot figure this out at all. Maybe our listeners can take a crack at this. Looks like random numbers to me. The first, the middle one spells beef, beef. if you alphanumerically assign it. The other ones though are... The other ones aren't, so I don't, or at least anything that I can understand. 
Okay, the devil is writing in, Kevin. Which one? <laughs> the devil from Spawn. Oh. The devil from I Saw the Devil. Take your pick. After listening to the episode for I Saw the Devil, I noticed one of you committed the cardinal sin and admitted that you made a deal with the devil. Being a member of the Illuminati, I decided to research your claim, and what I found about Yes, that bad success is rather disturbing. The devil came down to Atlantic City. He was looking for a deal to make. He was in a bind. He was way behind, so he would grab the first jabronis he could take. When he came across the ragtag team with a Behringer, they were cackling loud. The devil grabbed his nose as he forged through their fart cloud. He says, I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a podcast personality too. And Steve Jobs was right when he said, anyone could do it too. Now, you do a pretty good show, boys, but give the devil his pay. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have Jaws 3D as I gave the world Dennis Quaid. <laughs> I better mock three against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boys said, yeah, we're that good and this maybe's a sin. But perplexing pleasant people preposterously with a piss poor performance is how we'll win. Joel, you better hit record and play that intro music hard because hell's broke loose and the world headquarters and the devil deals this cards. The devil opened up his notes and he said, I'll start this show. And he began to rate their performances and tell facts they didn't know. And he pulled up the IMDb page and started dramatically reading on and on, while Joel and Kevin laughed because his feature was long gone. When the devil finished, Martin said, Well, you're pretty good, old son, but sit down in that chair right there and let us show you how it's done. To be continued. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Bryn writes in and says, Hello, gentlemen. I have been going through your entire archive. This letter is especially for Kevin. I work a graveyard shift that generally lends itself to watching copious amounts of television. As you can imagine, I have gone through hundreds of television series for better or worse. I am presently working my way through Reaper. The only other person I know and can discuss this show with is my friend who introduced me to it. Most others scoff at such an unsophisticated premise. So in conjunction with watching the show by night and listening to your podcast by day, it's delightful every time I hear you rave about your relationship with it, particularly the devil. I just finished an episode with the ending being a clip of him dancing to You're the Best Around. It was so enjoyable, I needed it to promptly get in touch with someone I knew appreciated it. Kevin, what do you have to say about this? Reaper was a great show. Yep. And it was canceled way too early. And that guy who played the devil. Ray Wise. Oh, man. He was so good. The best. He was the best around. So good. You know, I met Michael Ian Black once. Mm-hmm. He was at a book signing. His book had just came out. Like, my new van. My custom van, I think it was called. And I was in the audience. And when he was doing the Q&A section, I asked him my question was what's going on with reaper because it was like in between season one and two yeah and i was like what's the deal is reaper coming back and he was so happy that someone actually watched the show he's like he's like oh do you like it do you like reaper and it's like yeah it's awesome did you ever tell you about this i don't think you did i have a picture of of him on my facebook page yeah so i'm a fan of the show i wish it would keep going it's really good yeah it was um that show was great i loved it i watched it on netflix from time to time still it's pretty good oh and finally Nick writes in, Kevin, if it's a boy, Jumbie. If it's a girl, Renezme. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I've been teasing this long enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's like, leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Okay, thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. And next week, we're going to be watching the Antonio Banderas classic, The 13th Warrior. I watched this in high school. Did you? I don't even know what this is. (laughs) 
I don't think I've ever heard of it. Eaters of the Dead. I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh, you're in for a treat, Kevin. Okay, so tune in next week when we'll be going toe-to-toe with Antonio Banderas in The 13th Warrior. Okay, if you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yeahitsthatbad. You can follow the show on Twitter at yeahitsbad. You can follow Marna, yeah, it's Marna. You can follow Kevin at yeah, it's Kev. And you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at stitcher.com. Once again, just for listening to the show. See you next time. Look, I think this is showing they're the bad guys. I think that's why this is in here. To definitively show uh, okay. these guys are up to no good. If that's true, it wasn't very successful because it no. left a lot of room for, for confusion. Were they up to no good? I mean, they, they don't really do anything bad in this movie, really. They kill Americans. Oh, you're right. USA! USA! USA. <laughs>